Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 63 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. The bees have exploded into spring and I've been out collecting swarms from various locations. Today, I thought I'd share my memories of a very special day back in the late 80s when I collected my very first swarm. Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Swarm collections. Some beekeepers love them, while other beekeepers don't want to touch them with a barge pole, and I can see both views. If you're new to beekeeping and only have one colony, or maybe you don't even have one colony as yet, and you're waiting to be able to collect a swarm to put into your hive, then when the phone rings, your pulse quickens at the anticipation of heading out to collect a ready-made colony of bees nestled in a hedgerow somewhere. However, if you've got as many colonies as you want and are not looking for more swarm call-outs, the ringing phone can be an almighty pain in the backside sometimes. Let me explain both perspectives as I've encountered both emotions over the years. Collecting swarms and rehousing them to start a new colony is something I think most beekeepers will experience during their beekeeping adventures. It's a simple task that most beekeepers can tackle. You need a minimal amount of equipment, a little patience and a steady hand. And that's it really. I've collected swarms from all manner of different locations over the years and each one has provided a range of challenges, laughs and frustrations. Even as recently as yesterday, I collected a swarm which subsequently absconded. It can be really frustrating sometimes. Thinking back over the years, I can actually remember the very first swarm that I collected way back in the late 1980s. At that time, I only had three colonies, and we had moved house from a small country mid-terraced cottage to a traditional terraced house in Norwich. We only had a small back garden, perhaps 8 metres wide by 20 metres long, and the bees were on a concrete pad next to the shed at the end of the garden. I arrived home from work one afternoon to be told that the bees had swarmed and were now hanging from a cherry tree that was in full flower a couple of houses further down the road. At this time in my beekeeping career, I hadn't actually got a great deal of beekeeping equipment. My bee suit was an old boiler suit that had previously belonged to my father. Slightly comical, as I'm six foot three tall and he was five foot eight, the legs were, needless to say, a little on the short side. To this I added a wide-brimmed hat with some net curtain pulled over and tucked into the boiler suit collar, some washing-up gloves and a pair of Wellington boots. I really looked the part. Anyway, back to the swarm, they were about eight feet high in a cherry tree and the weight of the swarm had pulled the branch down to the point where it was just out of my reach. Not to worry, I had a pair of stepladders in the shed. Now I'd never seen a swarm being collected or ever collected one myself at this point. All I knew came from reading books. No such thing as Google or YouTube then to see what you had to do. It all sounded simple enough though. Shake the queen into the box and the rest of the bees would follow it said. So I found myself up a ladder with a cardboard box and a rather large prime swarm the size of a small torpedo hanging down nicely positioned to go into the box. I was all ready to collect them when I realised I'd suddenly got myself an audience of friends and neighbours. There must have been seven or eight people standing around watching me. It suddenly felt quite intimidating. Oh well, what could possibly go wrong? 
The important thing is to take a deep breath and go for it, I told myself. Be firm and shake all the bees into the box to make sure you get the queen. I rehearsed the whole process several times in my mind, a bit like a golfer imagining hitting the perfect shot immediately prior to actually taking the shot. I could see the vigour of the shake, the bees falling neatly into the box, and the gasp and applause from all of the onlookers. Three, two, one, shake. Perfect. The branch shook, the bees fell into the box, and that's where things started to go a little off-piste. Nobody had told me that a prime swarm of bees could weigh so much. The box, previously quite lightweight, suddenly became very heavy. My balance headed quickly off-centre, and I had to take a giant step down onto the ground to prevent myself falling off the stepladders and onto my backside, all at the same time as holding onto the box and making my giant leap appear completely intended. I knew I had to turn the box upside down and had already laid a sheet on the ground so I could wrap the bees up later and return them home. As I bent to place the box on the ground, I realised that in shaking the branch vigorously, I had mostly missed the box and shaken the bees down the front of my overalls and into my wellies. When I stepped down, several of the bees were squeezed between my foot and the wellies with the inevitable sudden shockwave of bee venom being injected into my ankles. Be brave though. You've got an audience, I thought. I really was covered in bees, as I was later told. I wedged the box corner up with a small stick I had ready and calmly shook the bees off my boiler suit while proclaiming to everyone present that it was a complete success. All I needed to do was to let the bees gather in the box so everyone could go home as it would take a while. I quickly wandered back home and once in the back door pulled my boots off to find about half a dozen bees attached to each ankle. I scraped the stings out and cursed a little, as I recall. I left the swarm for about 30 minutes and went back fully expecting them to be back up in the tree, but to my utter amazement, there were no bees anywhere to be seen. The light was failing now, and I had no idea where the bees had gone. I decided that I had failed miserably, and they must have absconded, but when I tried to pick up the cardboard box, it weighed a ton. The bees were in fact safely inside. I couldn't believe it. I quickly folded the sheet over the box, and carried it back into my back garden where I had an empty hive already prepared for them. I'd even set up a board in front of the hive to shake the bees onto, just like they said in the book. I shook out the bees and I just sat there and marvelled as they first inspected the hive entrance and then, as if by magic, all turned up the ramp and marched into the hive and their new home. I was absolutely delighted. I actually have a photograph of me running the bees up the board into this hive and I'll post it again to my Patreon page for you to see. It's not the best picture in the world, but it was my very first swarm and it means a lot to me. I'll leave a link in the podcast notes. That was my very first experience of collecting a swarm and it was utterly thrilling, completely magical and something I would recommend to any new beekeeper if only for the experience of seeing the bees march up the board into the hive. Maybe don't follow exactly what I did, but collecting a swarm can be so much fun. At various other times, I've collected swarms from inside loft spaces, in sheds, inside an oil drum, inside a car engine bay, off the side of lampposts. In fact, so many places, it's easy to lose count. The more tricky swarm collections are the cutout ones, where bees have managed to find themselves stuck inside wall cavities, but as long as it's plasterboard, they're relatively easy to get out. 
I've always declined collecting swarms from chimneys or anywhere above three metres high unless they're very good access, always with health and safety in mind. And of course, let's not forget the call-outs to so-called honeybee swarms that turn out to be bumblebees, mason bees or wasps. There's only so many of those that a beekeeper can take until it wears a little bit thin. To prevent those now, I ask the caller to send me a mobile phone picture of the swarm that they've seen so I can assess what's actually happening. It really cuts out a lot of wasted time. It's not just the time, of course. A major part of my costs these days is fuel for the truck, currently at around pound thirty per litre. It can get quite expensive driving out to some of these isolated locations, only to find that it's bumblebees, so make sure you ask lots of questions first. To be honest, a photograph is so much better. If you ask how big is the swarm, you might get the reply that it's massive, only to find a few hundred bees to collect from a cast of a cast from an earlier cast. But also bear in mind, a lot of non-beekeepers have never seen honeybees, let alone a swarm, so it can be quite difficult to judge the scale and also quite frightening for them. I'm now at the point where I really don't collect many swarms at all anymore. They're mostly my own swarms, as I've found out this week. I act as a point of contact for our local area and our beekeeping association and try to pass on any calls to beekeepers who are actively looking to collect swarms to increase their own numbers or to get started. As far as equipment for collecting swarms is concerned, it can be very simple indeed. I usually take my standard kit along, a bee suit, smoker and hive tools, but also you'll need something to put the big swarms into. A skep is always nice, but some of these swarms are massive and a skep just isn't large enough. I'll usually take a couple of different size boxes along with me and size up the swarm on arrival. Some tape to seal the bottom of the box securely and a sheet of some sort to turn the box onto and allow you to easily wrap them up and prevent the bees flying out when it's time to move them home. Add to this list a decent pair of secateurs for trimming small branches and twigs to get better access, and maybe a pair of loppers for thicker branches, but just be sure to ask permission before you go hacking down someone's prized magnolia bush. A short pair of steps is also useful, but don't take anything too long, as the higher you go, the greater the risk. Limit yourself to around 3 metres or less, just to stay safe. There will be other bits and bobs you might like to have, but don't go loading up with a vast range of tools. Keep it simple, do what you can, and never be afraid of saying it's not something you can handle and let someone else take the responsibility. Remember also, you need to have good insurance cover too, just in case anything should go horribly wrong. Hopefully it will never be needed, but have it anyway. Once you arrive on scene, take your time to assess what's actually going on and confirm it is a swarm of honeybees before you unload your car of all the equipment you've taken. Talk through the process with the homeowner or landowner and make sure they're happy for you to continue. The important thing here is to carry out a risk assessment for yourself and anyone watching or passing by. If it's in the middle of the countryside, with no members of the public around, it's easy, but in a built-up suburban area with lots of people walking past, it becomes a very different job entirely. I think the important thing is to make sure you do have some kind of risk assessment for your own peace of mind. This year, I'm not really going out collecting swarms, there's just so many other things of greater importance going on. A day to sort out a podcast, recording and editing videos, replying to messages and emails, oh, and the small task of inspecting my own bees. Talking of which, 
it looks like we're due for some much colder weather again over the coming week. Talk of overnight frosts and daytime temperatures barely getting above 9 degrees centigrade. That's about 48 degrees Fahrenheit. A reminder, of course, that it's still spring, although if my bees are anything to go by, they're well ahead of this time last year, and the oilseed rape honey is pretty much ready to be taken off. I have to make up some more clearer boards over the next couple of weeks. I like to use the rhombus clearers, which I fix to what is in effect an eek with a board screwed onto one side and a hole cut into the middle. I've seen some really inventive clearer boards over the years, but I always think the simplest are the best, no moving parts and easy to clean afterwards. I really don't like those port-to-bee escapes, too many moving parts and too easy for the bees to get back through if they're not set up correctly. Yet so many online companies seem to sell these crime boards with the port-to-bee escape holes pre-cut. If you have these escapes, just make sure that the bendy wires inside are set correctly so the bees can't go back through and back up into the supers again. Whatever way you decide to clear your bees from spring honey supers, make sure that when you do take off that oilseed rape honey, you don't leave it very long before extracting, or you'll be cutting it out and re-waxing your frames for the summer flow. Well, I hope you have a great week of beekeeping ahead, and whatever you get up to when you're collecting swarms, please stay safe. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.